Hello, welcome along to Racing Debate here on Sky Sports Racing. Myself and Mr Chapman I'm with, here. as ever... I am here. ...lots to talk about. Big news this week. Or is it big news? Because there wasn't a lot of change in the fixture list for 2023. Richard Wayman, Chief Operating Officer of the BHA, will join us to discuss that. We'll get some uh, reaction from the National Trainers Federation too, mate. And if that doesn't grip you, hopefully this will. Paul Nichols, the champion jumps trainer, will be on the show. Is he in favour of a break in the jump season? And is he on top of the game? I'd like oh, to know about that, Horshaw. Oh, that's a blast from the past. Yeah. We'll get the latest from Paul Nichols very, very soon. And we'll reflect on events on the track as ever as well. Of course, who you Mal got the job done at Goodwood. Great racing in the States in mm. particular yesterday to reflect on. All of that coming up in debate. Yes, welcome along to Racing Debate here on Sky Sports Racing. Lots to get stuck into over the next hour or so. Lots of guests to uh, join us as well. You can be part of the conversation as ever. Uh, some of you have been in touch already via Twitter, at, at the races on Twitter or at Sky Sports Racing. And you can drop us an email as well. We are racing at skysports.com if you'd like to get in touch uh, that way. That's Matt Chapman. I'm Sean Boyce. Just confirm that as well in the correct order. Good to see you. I'm slightly worried you had to confirm who you were, Sean. It's always worth checking. Always yeah. worth checking, just to make sure I'm in the right place. Uh, we have got lots to get stuck into today. The headline um, for the press release that dropped um, in, all, in, in our inboxes uh, uh, earlier on in the week, on the 24th, oh. was increases to minimum race values agreed for 2023 as British Racing's fixture list is published. So it's the, it's the fixtures for next year, which would normally be the headline, but the headline was the increase to minimum race values. Uh, we'll discuss all of that with Chief Operating Officer of the British Horse Racing Authority, Richard Wayman, who joins us now. Welcome, Richard. Thank you. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Matt. Morning, Richard. Good to have you on board. Um, I mentioned the headline of the press release, Richard, because that focused on the minimum race values. We will get to that because there are some notable uh, increases in, in minimum values at, 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 at different levels in the sport. We will get to that. But I'd rather start with the, the other uh, part of the equation, which is the fixture list itself, because it has been, as you know, so much in people's minds, so much debated, so much in conversations, not least because the BHA had a proposal just a few months ago to reduce um, the number of races in the fixture list. There is effectively, I know there are some tweaks, but there's effectively no change in the number of fixtures and races we're running next year. Why not? Well, the... Um First thing to say, I think, in, <laughs> to say is that uh, the fixture list is obviously put together um, as part of a as part of the tripartite governance structure of our sport. So that means that it isn't just the BHA that, that, that agrees the fixture list for, for next year. It's a discussion also involving the racecourses and the participants. So that group of that group of uh, representatives get together really from March, April onwards, and try to agree a package of improvements for the following year's fixture list. And as you've touched on, Sean, there's plenty that we did agree on for 2023 and a number of improvements that, that have been made, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about some of those. But on the issue of volume, as you rightly say, ultimately the decision back in June was taken that for 2023, we were going to, we were going to leave it as it is. So it was the decision taken then that basically set that, that, that the fixture list would, would stay as it was from a volume perspective next year. Yes. 
leaves me with my question, which is why? Because you, you'll be aware that every time we ask our viewers who are racing fans, they say there's too much racing. Uh, the voices of trainers and other people who work in the sport seem to concur. There's too much racing. Uh, that seems to be uh, the consensus there. The BHA itself, as recently as May from the leaked um, proposal, um, was proposing a reduction in fixtures. So there is a huge constituency within the sport, it seems, in favour of reducing the fixtures. So why do they remain the same? In some ways, it's one of these discussions that's almost slightly Brexit-like. There are these two camps. On the one hand, the sort of group of people that you've just been speaking about that point to the sport's competitiveness and say, look, it's not good enough at the moment. Field sizes through the last several months have not been where we wanted them to be. It's quite hard to argue at that point. I don't think anybody would. You know, competitiveness levels haven't been haven't been where we wanted them. The the other side of the argument, though, is a much more commercial and financial one, and that's all about the fact that so many of the sport's major revenue streams are linked into the volume of fixtures and races that we stage. So um, levy, media rights. And why, why that is important is obviously that's the money that ultimately flows through into prize money. So of course, the, 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 there is this balance that we're always trying to strike between a competitive racing program on the one hand, on the other hand, not, not making or taking steps that will reduce that competition to such an extent, or sorry, the competition would continue, improve the competition, but not reduce the volume to such an extent that prize money begins to fall significantly. And then we start losing horses and the problem just becomes even bigger. So it's, it's this sweet spot that we're always trying to find. And obviously different camps have different views on where that's one, on where that sweet spot sweet spot lies but but one really important point i think on top of all of that and and and, and where that decision in june really focused and and i know uh, julie harrington has has spoken to you sean about this before is the absence at the moment of an agreed industry plan not just for the fixture list but basically for our sport where do we want our sport to be in three five years time because if we can get an agreement around that decisions around the volume of the fixture list the shape of the fixture list and lots of other things would be so much easier if we were all starting off pointing in the same direction i think I'm, one I'm, of the I'm, challenges at the moment is there is there is no agreed uh, sort of vision that, that everybody's signed up to it isn't richard the big problem though is the sweet spot so to speak, that we're trying to desperately find, um, in that we're not going to find it. That, that's the problem you've got. So in other words, what I'm saying is that trying to get consensus is just delaying the inevitable that you won't get consensus. Um, for instance, let's just say the BHA aren't always going to agree with the horsemen. But is it fair to say that in the BHA's opinion, all the race courses have the long-term interests of the sport at heart. And taking those two points straight away, we immediately see if you believe that both of those could be true, that you're not going to hit a sweet spot ever. So you need someone to say, OK, well, we're not going to hit a sweet spot, so someone has to make a decision that overrides what others are saying. Yeah, I think there's a lot in that question, Matt. And uh, the first thing I think I'd say in response to it is that I think whether, whether we're talking about the race courses or participants or indeed any anybody else everybody wants the same thing which is a vibrant robust a growing british racing industry for the years for years to come you know we, we all love this game and all of us want to see it uh, see it grow and succeed in the future of course the challenge is different people have different views 
on on what the answer is to make it grow and succeed so you know you, you may be right there may not be a single point around which everybody will say aha that's that's the answer so i accept that but what i think what i think the industry can do is is ask itself a slightly different question which is not all around the volume of the sport and whether it's 10,500 races or 10,000 races but instead of that is how how do we actually want the sport to look what is it that we're aiming for is it that you know is it around a is it around a particular field size target is it about something else is it about prize money is it about is it about something else altogether? If we can agree what it is we're aiming for, then perhaps it's easier to, to work out from that what the answer is, rather than perhaps everybody uh, aiming for a slightly different uh, a slightly different objective. That makes a lot of sense, uh, the way you've described it there, Richard. That conversation, we understand, is going to begin very soon. The middle of September was mentioned, so a couple of weeks from now, potentially, you're going to sit down with the, the, the horseman's group or the thoroughbred group, as it now is, and the race courses. But you'll be the BHA yourself, Julie Harrington, the senior people at the BHA. You're going to sit down and you're going to put your case for your strategy, your vision of the sport. What is it? Well... <laughs> Good luck. The first thing I the first thing I would say to that is if everybody just gets in a room and just sits there and and, and says and says this is my answer for the, for, for for what British racing should. You could look have like. a starting point though, Richard. You take my point that to have a a, a, a guiding star, a guiding principle, and and, and that's what and, I'm struggling to hear. Well, let me let me try and answer that in two ways. First of all, Sean, I think the guiding principle isn't about what any particular individual believes is the right answer. It's about what our customers are telling us. It's about what race goers are saying to us. What what are what are betters saying to us? What about television viewers? And indeed, all of those owners, the biggest investors in the sport, um, you know, all together. Uh, you know, what is it that will encourage growth in those dis different customer groups rather than what any particular individual believes? Having said all of that, I can give you a personal view around some of the things that I would expect to see in, in a future vibrant, successful British racing industry. And one of those would be a competitive racing product. Any sport is dependent on it being competitive. So I think that's a, that will be a really key part of discussions. A second, a second area for me would be around the way the fixture list is actually structured. At the moment, we've got nearly 1,500 fixtures, and they all, all are presented as a mass, as a as the same thing. Now, actually, should we, like perhaps other sports have done, help our customers understand, perhaps newer customers understand, well, this is the really top stuff, this is the really important stuff, and we're going to present and perhaps fund and finance it in one particular way. And then this is the other stuff that's also very important, but it's not the real top stuff that we might look at in a slightly different way. So I can see some sort of differentiation. And a third thing, and again, you know, there are many other ways that I would answer that question, but something that I believe in is looking at the programme itself. I'd like to see a programme that encouraged our better horses to race against each other a little bit, a bit more often than they do. And I think a frustration that a lot of our customers have voiced is that at the moment it can be uh, too easy for horses to avoid each other, good horses to avoid each other, and, and actually then we end up with a lot of uncompetitive events. So that I've only touched on three particular things. They're, they're, those are personal points of views, but they're things that I personally believe would help strengthen our sport as, as we move forward. A couple of points, Richard. Firstly, I, w I would just want to say one thing, just, just in general, that, that of all the people I've spoken to about this whole situation, the majority, in fact, no, all of them, to be quite frank, have said Richard Wayman's a good guy. And I think, you know, yourself, Alan Del Monte, are two people that, that 
people out there absolutely respect. So I, I, these shows can come across as like, we're having a pop at you or we're having a go at you or trying to wind you up. You are merely representing the BHA. And as we see with politicians sometimes having to represent their, their government, they're in an impossible position sometimes to, 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 to get a point across or to, or to, to convince the viewers, etc. But um, you've been at the BHA some time. I mean, would you have been there in 2008? Yes, I was right. there then. So this is Ruth Quinn's quote for the BHA fixture list in 2008. Um, it says, the 2008 fixture list, while presenting several new exciting challenges, uh, Ruth tended to always put that phrase in all her press releases, um, <laughs> should be viewed against the backdrop of the major review which the British Horse Racing Authority will be undertaking and on which work has already commenced. The review will aim to identify, with the help of as many contributors as possible, the optimal size and shape of the fixture list for British racing for 2009 onwards. Um, that's 14 years ago. Could we just replace 2008 with 2022 and 2009 with 2023? I mean, the point I'm trying to make is that we're talking about we've got to have these reviews and meetings now. I mean, we've been having these since 2008 because the same thing was exactly as basically we're saying now in 2008. It hasn't changed an awful lot in 14 years. Why is it going to change now when effectively the exactly the same thing was said 14 years ago? Well, the first thing, Matt, I suppose, is it, it may not. It may be that the sport isn't able to come together, as it probably hasn't done in, in, in the past decade or so, and agree an industry plan. And, you know, that would deeply sadden me if that's the case. And, and actually, I'm, I'm more optimistic that, that on this occasion, uh, there is a much greater chance of it happening. And, and let me tell you why. I think, you know, I'm, as with many, many other sports and indeed industries at the moment, you know, we are facing an incredibly challenging time as, as, as a nation, you know, beyond racing. And it seems to me that increasingly people uh, within the sport realise that carrying on as we are cannot be the best solution, not only for their business, but also for the sport. Now, that will, of course, take compromise. You know, any plan that the sport agrees, there'll be bits of it that different parties don't like. But having a plan is something that... Uh, you know, ultimately, I believe, will we'll put the sport in a much better place than everybody paddling their own boat and doing nope. their own thing. And I just think, I just think the situation is serious enough now, Matt, in, in response to your question, that it increases the chance of the sport coming together and, and agreeing that plan. And certainly, you know, when you listen to the chairs of the BHA, the RCA and, and, and uh, Horsemen or Thoroughbred Group discussing this back in June, They've all signed up and committed to this, and perhaps that's not always been the case in the past. I think there is a, a sea change in, in recognising the need for change and the need to do it joined up together. If, if there is a sea change, then you'd hope that everyone is already coming together. There was a racing group meeting last week where... Is it fair to say that... Or, or can you confirm that at <laughs> that racing group, people, all the groups were happy to discuss positive changes to the 2023 racing programme on the back of the fact that the racecourses are being called immovable objects? Or was there any party at that racing group meeting last week that refused to come to the table? So, uh, yes, the meeting, the meeting that you're talking about on, on Monday was less around the fixture list and the volume of the fixture list. This was a different discussion around changes that can be made 
to the race program in in, in 2023 and what are to, to support competitiveness and i think it'd be fair to say that uh, there were split views around around the table at, at that meeting with with on with on one hand some groups saying yes these are good changes we'd like to make them on the other hand others saying well until you tackle the uh, until you tackle the volume issue you are just uh, almost rearranging the deck chairs. So again, there were differences, Matt, and these differences will will always. But are you um, able to tell there. us which which group was in favour and which group was against trying to chat? Well, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't break confidences, but I think it's fair to say that you, you know you can appreciate, as in many of these things, there are these these different camps. But I think it, you know, you know what I what I would say is that everybody around that table wants to see a thriving uh, and competitive racing industry, not just in 23 and 2023, but in years to come. And I think sometimes some of the disagreement here is that people are so so passionate about this sport and uh, and want to do the right thing that they do. It does sometimes lead to some quite challenging discussions. And that comes back to where we started and the need for this industry agreed plan, so that some of these let's call them um, scuffles perhaps that break out along the, along the way sometimes are dealt with before we get to that stage because we're all knowing exactly what we're aiming for rather than sort of having these sort of different arguments as they as they sort of just flare up every so often. So that's what we're trying to get to. Yeah, well, we've kind of come full circle, haven't we? And, and there's an awful lot riding on whether, whether the industry can come together and agree this uh, this new strategy and new direction. I did promise you we'd, st we'd talk about the prize money increases, but we've kind of run out of time. <laughs> we might have to come back to that on another show. But just very quickly, you've lifted the minimum values across the board. Yep. It seems quite top-heavy, um, like increases of, of, of a third at the very highest level, whereas we're looking at £700 replacing the, the appearance at the, at the bottom. Are you confident you've got the balance right? I think so. I mean, it would be fair to say, uh, Sean, at, at the top end, a lot of those races have run for well above minimum value anyway. So right. perhaps, you know, some of that is, is nevertheless, it's an important opportunity to raise the minimum values. But in many cases, it will, it will you know, they'll already be above those. The real area where we look to make the difference is those class two and three handicaps. We're seeing this drain of, or this increasing number of exports of horses going overseas. We've always had it. We've always had horses going off to Hong Kong and Australia. But for many years, that would have been about 100, 150 horses a year. Last year, it was over 300. You know, that's the stat that is really concerning us and, and, and the need, therefore, for us to do something about it. Um, this is a first step. You know, this isn't Rome was not built in a day um, mm. and we couldn't change everything overnight. But it's an important first step. Uh, we wanted, as we go into the yearling sales season, to be able to say to owners, look, there is progression in our prize money. There's more to be done, but we can, we can give some positive news as people are beginning to make their plans for next year. OK, good stuff. Many thanks for your time, Richard. Appreciate that as ever. Thanks, Richard. Thank you both. Coming up, Paul Nichols. Yeah, just some breaking news on Baid. William Haggis has been in touch and Baid will not be going in the Irish Champion Stakes. He will either run in the Arc de Triomphe or the Champion Stakes at Ascot. Uh, uh, William, I haven't had time. I was trying to listen to the message while Richard was saying that and listening to Richard as well. Uh, but um, uh, William saying that Baid is in tremendous form, but he will not run in the Irish Champion Stakes. So the, the Baid saga is down to two. OK, that's interesting. That's a lot of good horses in the Irish Champion Stakes. I'm sure they're not running scared of any of those, of course, and good horses wherever he goes. But that's an interesting development. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Paul Nichols, champion jumps trainer, next.
Welcome back to Racing Debate here on Sky Sports Racing. We just heard from Richard Wayman, the Chief Operating Officer of the British Horse Racing Authority, about the fixture list for 2023. But what do the people at the coalface make of it all? Top trainer, uh, top trainers will, have been giving some of their views. We're joined by the toppest trainer of them all on the national hunt scene. Champion trainer Paul Nichols is with us. Um, many thanks for joining us, Paul. I, hopefully we were able to catch some of our conversation with Richard. We had, we've had a lot of comment about, you know, we had a day the other day where we had three jumps meetings in the middle of summer. What, what did you make of the 2023 fixture list and what you've heard so far? Well, just looking at it, um, obviously not a lot has changed, to be honest. Um, referring to those days last week when there was uh, three meetings, which was totally ludicrous to have three jump meetings on a Tuesday when there's not enough horses and training to run it, one meeting in the summer, let alone three. I do see next year they cut that by one, so there's only two on that particular day. But... Yeah, this just it's just the basis of the whole thing. You can hear so many different arguments from so many different people. It's just to me, there's too much racing and not enough horses for the races that are on. What do your owners tell you, Paul? Because you, you you deal with top owners and people who are very often sort of leading lights in their particular professions and industries as well. What do they make of it all? Well, I mean, you know, everyone's a you know disappointed with the with a lot of the negative publicity about the sport at the moment so we all need to try and get positive and get things going forward mm. we want to produce competitive racing good prize money it's how we get there and, um yeah and the feeling is from everybody is there's too much racing and that's that's the big thing and it, it's it's fairly common to me it's common sense that there, there's not enough horses to go around for the races that are, are put on and if that continues as it is then there simply will be Small, small fields all the time. Um, so it has to be changed. And um, William Haggis, I think, is one who talks an awful lot of sense. And the other day, I think he was advocating losing 300 meetings, let alone 300 races. And I don't think he was far off the mark. But the suggestion of losing 300 races was a positive one, but no one seemed to be able to agree on that, and nothing ever happens. Is it, is it slightly, though, Paul, a vicious circle in that I imagine you've got owners who would love competitive races and, like, be the king of the king, so to speak. But I am also would imagine you kind of thinking, they're great, let's go for that three-runner race, Paul. I'm quite happy to pick up 10 grand here and there or, or, or whatever. And, of course, if you, if you do have 300 less fixtures, then you have 300 less fixtures of winning. And there will be groups of owners who just are happy winning anything. Uh, yeah, but that's not good for the sport, is it? We're supposed to be a competitive sport. Um, you know, let's be realistic about it. I mean, some of the races I've won through the summer this year, it's great. We all like winning races, but Hal Red, I think, has won four races, and most of them have been two runner races. That's not good for anybody, not good for the sport. Um, and again, no one's going to want to go and watch his races. You know, we would say, that crowd's been, you know, going down a little bit at the moment. Well, if you're not putting committed races on, that's not going to happen. And if, if there was less races, it was based on... Um, it's controversial, but I actually think we, we should go back to how we used to be and have no racing at all in the summer finish it uh sand down meetings towards the end of the season race through may because may's a good month june and july off um start again in august and build up quietly to october when racing starts again um and i think it would do the whole people involved in national racing a lot of good from the staff horses yards owners everybody we know where we start and we know where we stop and we haven't got all this ludicrous mediocre racing during the summer some people, I guess, Paul, would immediately say, well, it's easy for you to say. You've got hundreds of horses, you've got yeah. a lot of good horses, you're targeting those big winter prizes. But many trainers make their mark during this, this summer season. It's a, it's, a, it's a great stepping stone. Lots of people have, you know, put themselves on the radar at this time of the year. 
Well, there's, there's plenty of opportunities for those horses and those people the rest of the year, to be honest with you. You'd still be racing 10 months of the year, and there's still those races on. And, you know, through perhaps April and May and, let's say, August, September, October, there's five months when you haven't got the very, very best horses running. There's going to be lots of opportunities. You know, you can't have your cake and eat it. That's the problem. Um, it always used to work, and, and, and it would work again. There'd be lots of opportunities for everybody. You just got a break. Um, and it would just thin the, thin, thin the racing out a little bit. And we might have a you know, more competitive race. And then in August, September, October, leading up to the season starting, well, there'd probably be very, very few runners again. I mean, that, that, that's the key, isn't it, Paul? That, that there may be one or two trainers who, although I can't actually think of that many, to be honest, but there may be one or two trainers who are surviving because of jump, summer jumping. But the simple truth is, like, the Football League stops eventually. It doesn't go down to League 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 just to try and allow a team to continue in League 14. I mean... This is meant to be, well, it is, the second most watched sport in the country. It provides a huge amount of money to government, but there should be a certain level of talent, shouldn't there? Just like there is in Hong Kong. Not every horse is good enough to race in Hong Kong, for instance. I mean, there has to be a cut-off at some point. Of course it does. Um, the, 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 look at the Premiership. They actually have a break as well, you know. They have that good long summer break when they're not racing. And the, the great thing about the Premiership in the football is... You know, there's lots of money going to the top. It's very competitive. And everybody below is striving to get to the top. And that's how it should be in racing. And, and sadly, you're going to get one or two fall away from it. But there's still opportunities for those people. Of course there are. But we, we need to sort of like have the premiership and everyone be striving to get to that. And, and you know, the, you know, we were watching some of the football matches yesterday. So competitive. We need to get racing competitive like that. Paul, you're the champion trainer. Um, I can't believe that, judging by the amount of runners he has, that Nicky Henderson, who is probably going to be champion if you're not each season at the moment, if, if he wouldn't agree with what you're saying, I'm pretty certain Donald McCain, who's a large figure in the business as well, um, wouldn't, uh, would agree with what you're saying. I'm pretty sure Fergal O'Brien, who again is a, is a powerhouse in this game, would agree. So we've got I think it's fair to say, without putting words in their mouths on this show, four, four big yards who would agree with, with what you're saying. But despite the fact that most people listening to this will hold on, if those are saying it, what, who, how, how do we change it is really what I'm saying. It's like, do you actually have any power to make happen what you're suggesting? No, we don't have any power, but I don't know who has got the power. Somebody needs to be strong enough and stand up there and make these things happen, but... It doesn't, and that's the problem, I think. You know, things. somebody has to be strong enough to make decisions, be positive, and and won't sue everybody what's done, but you have to have someone who's positive and makes these decisions. I think the jumping and the flat are two totally different arguments because you be, as you've been you know, reading about horses going abroad, one thing or another from the flat, that doesn't happen. Jumping is two tough entities, really. But at the end of the day, we all want to produce competitive racing that works for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting, something that Richard Wayman did say, which was very much in line with the Savile proposals. He seemed very open to the idea, Paul, of having a premierisation, of differentiating the very best sport uh, from the rest. So maybe there will be some movement on that particular yeah. thing. I mean, the immediate issue I see straight away is there are a number of jumps courses that have turned themselves into summer jumps tracks. Yeah, yeah. Presumably, they would very much struggle if there absolutely. wasn't summer jumping. It suits their model, yeah. And again, presumably, therefore, they would vote against this straight away. So well, you have... It goes back to Paul's point. At some point, yeah. somebody needs to 
be allowed to lead, and everyone's going to have to sort of uh, mm. suck it up a little bit if it, if it doesn't suit them. Um, we can't let you go, Paul. Just interesting, Newton, what you were saying there. You know, I'm a great supporter of Newton Abbott, and Newton Abbott does an absolutely fantastic job of putting on good summer racing. But before, before summer jumping came along, Newton Abbott used to have good meetings all through the spring. Mm. They started in August, first Saturday in August, race for August, September, October, and actually on into November, which I think they could easily do now. I'm not convinced it would be such a bad thing. They used to have loads and loads of fixtures for the summer and had loads of those taken away, which was, I know, it wasn't ideal for them because they'd you know, put everything into, into that summer racing. I'm not totally convinced that they, would, they wouldn't be against it. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Well-run track, of course, uh, Newton exactly. Abbott, for sure. Um, Paul, you constantly, it seems to me, sort of not, not reinvent yourself, but you're always adapting because, you know, you had the, you know, a, a, a period with, with, where, where you seem to have all the biggest uh, guns in the racing world in terms of individual horses. Less so last year, but you cut your cloth accordingly and reshaped and still won three million quid or something in, in, in prize money. What's been going on in the summer months? Have you got um, new strategies, new tactics, new facilities? What are you, what's, what's the Nichols brain been up to? Well, you, you, you're always improving your facilities, um, updating things, trying to do things different. But basically, everything's the same. We've got a great setup. It's this time of year, it's like having a new term at school. You've got plenty of new staff started, lots of new horses. You're always going to be reinvesting, trying to get horses for the future, and then try and get the best out of the, the ones that we had. And last year, like I said, we, we actually throwed on winning an Ireland. We actually won over three million in prize money. If we could do that again this year, I'd be delighted. Yeah, I mean, it's a hell of an achievement. Talking of Frodo, is he going to be back? He's well, yeah, he's doing plenty already. He's going to be going to Danwall um, the end of October, the race he won last year. He'll be ready for that. So, uh, yeah, very happy with him. Um, it's a shame we couldn't run him after Cheltenham in the spring when he got struck into, but a little break's probably done him the world of good, and he, he's in good shape. I haven't prepped you for this, so I'm, I'm slightly in fear of asking, yeah. but is top of the game still in the yard somewhere? Yeah, no, he's done six weeks' work. He's he's already doing four trots up Ditchett Hill every day, two hours on the walk, and twice a week he goes on a water treadmill. So he's doing lots of work. We're going to go quietly, quietly with him. It's a day-by-day -day thing with him. Um, he hasn't started cantering yet, um, but we won't till probably next month and then quietly build him. In my mind, I'd like to go to Cotswold Chase and get him there and then go for the Grand National. But whether that ever happens, who knows? We'll be doing our best. He looks great. His legs feel great. We've given him lots of time. Paul Barber and Chris Charles have been really patient and basically said, you do what you think and do what you want with him. So we're going quietly. At the moment, it's all, all OK. But as I said, it's a day-by-day -day thing. Yeah, certainly certainly with him. I think it's great having those kind of owners with a horse like that. You, you need those kind of owners around who understand the game completely. One horse I, I've been praying you'll go chasing with, and you, you've, you've quite rightly not, because he's bundled up loads of money over hurdles, but please tell me, this is the um, fabulous will jump a fence. Oh, yeah, he'll go to Chepstow, grand permitting um, in October. Um, he started off there before now. He won the Bruce Warren Office hurdle and other races, and you know, he likes decent grounds. As long as it's safe and we get rain through October, that's where he'll start over fences. Good stuff. Just very quickly while we've got you, Paul, Brave Man's Game, who, who yeah. um, went to Aintree and then... Um, on the face of it, a bit disappointed. Did anything come to light? What was what was the story there? Yeah, he was disappointing uh, at Aintree. Um, I know he'd been fully prepared to run for his life at Cheltenham and we didn't run him. Um, he has had his soft palate recalled in the summer, which will help him. Um, he seems to run very well in the early part of the season. 
But we're not going to be in too much of a hurry with him. I, I suspect his first run will probably be the Chanel Farmer Chase at Ascot, middle of November, and then go on to the King George. Um, he looks great at the moment. Um, he's big and well, um, lots of countering, but just going to build him up very slowly and, and try and make him last the season a little bit longer if we can and, and run that much better in the spring. Good stuff. Good stuff. Look forward to seeing a really exciting horse. Paul, really appreciate you, you, you joining us today. Just to reiterate, because it is quite a big moment, the champion trainer says two-month break for jumps trainers in the, in the height of the summer. That, that's the message to, the, to any powers that be that might be listening. Well, that's what I do. You know, we have uh, June and July off, you know, and take, if the summers are going to get uh, even warmer than they are at the moment, it's going to be more and more of a problem uh, training the horses in the summer, uh, in the height of the summer, and producing ground that's safe. And um, it, 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 it's just something I've always thought would be a good idea. And you've heard Fogel and you've said Donald... You hardly see now Dan hardly has any runners, nor Nicky. Um, if you put race on, there's always going to be people who will have runners. But if, if that little eight week break would, to me, would work really, really well and go back how it used to. Jumping at the end of the day is a winter sport, really. It's yeah. not a summer sport. Many thanks, Paul. Really appreciate your time. And I know everybody, not everybody will agree with me, but it's just. What I've always thought. No, well, we're going to ask our stuff. viewers exactly that. Many thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. You yeah. said you said before, Matt, you would be in favour of that, and and maybe we're old-fashioned because we remember how it used to be that the, yeah, winter was jump racing and it was really exciting. The smell of bonfires in the air, the jump season is coming back, and all that kind of stuff, and and we just have this kind of endless. And same for flat, you know, we, it's trickling on through the winter, and I'd go back. Yeah. What what I've found is even with the big prize money meetings, Market Raisin, for instance, who have done a magnificent job in putting on big prize money in the middle of the season with two big races, big hurdle, big chase. But you just hear from, I mean, everyone on social media, bar a handful, just saying, I don't care about the jumps racing. It's the flat season. And, 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 and to be honest, vice versa, yeah. <laughs> you know, when it comes to the middle of, of, of the winter. Um, that is what, when we say British racing is the best in the world, one of the reasons a lot of us think that is because we have jumps racing and flat racing and then jumps racing and flat racing. That's the beauty of it. You Should we get go into back? It. Should we go back? Let's ask our viewers. You get in touch. Sky Sports Racing. We are uh, racing at Sky Sports. Uh, dot com on the emails as well at, at the races at Sky Sports Racing on the social media as well. Do get in touch. Coming up, we'll get the confirmation of that uh, line from uh, William Haggis about Bayeed, who got in touch with us during the, the show live. So we'll uh, bring you bang up to date with that. And we'll hear from Paul Johnson, who's the chief of the National Trainers Federation as well. Welcome back to Racing Debate here on Sky Sports Racing. Headlines so far. Richard Wayman seemed to agree with Peter Savile's premierisation uh, strategy earlier on. And Paul Nichols, the champion uh, jumps trainer, says we should have a summer break, a proper summer break like we used to. Jump season and a flat season, two months off in the summer. And the other headline uh, during the course of the show, news from William Haggis. Yes, news from William Haggis on Bayi. Let's listen exactly to what William had to say. Hi, uh, I'm sending this uh, a message uh, so that I don't offend anyone by leaving people out of what you boys would consider a scoop. Um, I'm not so sure, but there you go. Uh, this is an update on Baid and our plans with him. Uh, first of all, Baid is in great form, has been really good since York. Everyone's very happy with him. Um, and... Uh, very pleased with his condition and his well-being. 
having had long discussions with uh, Sheikh Ahissa, Angus and Richard, we've come to the conclusion that he will have one more race this season. And that will not sadly be in the uh, Royal Bahrain Irish Champion Stakes uh, and will either be in the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe or the Kipco Champion Stakes. A decision will be made uh, closer to the time. Obviously, he's not in the arc, so he will need to be supplemented. But we are not keen to run him on bad ground in Paris. So if the ground is nice, there is a strong chance he will go there. Uh, otherwise, he will wait for the Champion Stakes and run there, whatever. Um, so... Uh, I now uh, have a syndicate lunch and will not be answering the telephone um, and will deal with anything tomorrow, but I don't know that there's anything further to add uh, to that at this time. Uh, suffice to say, as I've said before, we're very happy with him and it's all systems go to any race in uh, uh, which comes on our radar. Thanks. And just any race in October, basically. Well, well, not really. If we actually just listen to that a bit more closely, there was a line in there that said, if the ground is decent, then he's going for the arc. Yeah. That, that was yeah. the line. Yeah. So yeah, it's, not, it's not really a choice. It's, it's only a choice if the ground is not decent. But if the ground is OK, it sounds as if Baid is going for the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, which is something that, on the back of the conversations we've already had in racing debate, is something joyous. I, I heard that more as the arc could be a contender if the ground is OK. We don't want to run in Paris on bad ground. Mm, I'd have to listen to it again. But that... <laughs> I can roll it back. Well, Let's no, 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 Shall we listen to it again? Hold on. But we are not keen to run him on bad ground in Paris. So if the ground is nice, there is a strong chance he will go there. If the ground is nicer, nicer. there is a strong chance he will go there. Nicer if, than it looks at being an asset I mean, fortnight later, I suppose. Is that what that means? No, I think he's, he's saying if the ground is nicer in France, there's a strong chance he will go yeah. for the art. That's nicer, how I... Nicer than what, though? Nicer than it? Well, nicer than not nice. OK, nicer than it sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I, I, sometimes I think if it was good to soft or good, yeah. that sounds to me like a running front. If it's, it's a bog, exciting. if it's Torquato Tasso ground, then tell I don't you, think... Tell you where you get perfect ground. Irish champion stakes. Yeah, there is, there is, <laughs> I, I wrote about this the weekend. The problem is you gain nothing. There's nothing to gain. There's nothing to gain stud-wise. You might beat a few horses you haven't beaten already, but you're still not going to improve your rating much. Mm. There's nothing to gain. For, if you're the owner, it's different if you're a racing fan, Sean. Yeah. We'd love him to run in all three. But if you're the owner, what do you have to gain? And the answer is nothing. Yeah, OK. Interesting. So um, the arc is still on. Perhaps more on than we thought. Paul Johnson can join us. I'm delighted to say, I sound slightly surprised because we had a few uh, technical issues there, Paul, but thankfully we've got you on. Paul is a, uh, the chief. I can't hear you. you oh, I'll keep talking. And this see is something I've wanted now. for so long. Why do I always, why can I always hear you, Sean? You and... Press the mute. <laughs> I press the mute when you're talking. Uh, we're right. trying, uh, we've had a few technical issues with Paul. We'll try again. In a moment or two. In a moment or two and take a very short break because we're hearing Paul, but he's not hearing us, which is not ideal. We'll try and sort that out for our final section coming up.
Hello, welcome back to Racing Debate here on Sky Sports Racing. Let's try one more time with the chief of the National Trainers Federation, Paul Johnson. Can you hear us, Paul? You're loud and clear. Ah, oh, success, success. Uh, we, we began the show talking to Richard Wayman from the British Horse Racing Authority about the fixture list for 2023. It was announced with a press release. Um, the BHA were quoted, the Race Horse Owners Association were quoted, uh, the Race Course Association were quoted. No quote from you, Paul. Were you disappointed not to be involved in that announcement? Uh, well, we were, we were involved in the announcement. It's uh, probably a slight mistake to think otherwise. I think we just took the view, uh, the same as probably the jockeys and the breeders and others amongst the thoroughbred group, that there's only so many comments you can make at the end of a release about the fixture list. So okay. the, the comments from Charlie Liverton would, would represent the, uh, the comments of all of us, I think. Understood, understood. So that's my misunderstanding. Um, in terms of your members, Paul, is, is, is there a consensus in terms of where we stand on fixtures? And if so, how would you describe it? Uh, well... I don't know if there's ever quite a consensus between trainers. They're all, there's 500 of them, and they're operating different businesses. They, they've got different uh, requirements um, and different outcomes to what they do. So there's never a complete consensus, but uh, the, there, there is a view amongst the council that, that, that runs the NTF, and there's the, the bulk of the trainers, I believe, are behind what we're trying to do here, which is support the longer term of the sport, which I've said a number of times before. And that doesn't mean we ignore the short term, but there are long-term needs that the sport has. And uh, I think I saw the that um, you put up on, on the screen a minute ago about the risk to the sport if we don't get some of this right. Yes, and, and would that involve pruning the fixture list? Is that is that a given in order in order to secure the longer-term future or, or not? It's not a given. Uh, uh, all we're trying to do, we, we've got quite. There's a strategy down the 19th and 20th, which we've all talked about quite a lot. And we're quite clear in how we want to approach that, which is that in the short term, we need to make sure the fixture list is tailored to the available horse population. And as a fact, that should be an, on, an ongoing position that, uh, that you balance the needs of the, the consumer uh, to make sure racing is compelling and competitive. And you effectively run probably as much racing as you can, but without damaging the sport. And then if you've got, if you, you then work to grow the horse population, to grow consumer interest in the sport, to enable you to run more volume if you want to. At the moment, we're running before we can walk. OK, so less might be more in order to get to more in the longer uh, term, perhaps. Just while I've got you, Paul, I was reading comments. I think it was Rob Millman, wasn't it, in the, the Racing Post the other day, talking about energy costs. Uh, lots of, in the news about consumers' energy costs and the, the yeah. rising price cap. There is no cap for businesses. Your trainers are running businesses. So presumably their uh, energy bills are going through the roof at the moment. There's a bit of a storm coming, isn't there, with everything that's going on? I agree. It's it's not energy bills is one item, isn't it? Uh, of many, there's, there's increasing rates. There's uh, there's increasing uh, diesel costs. There's increasing insurance costs, which are, could be really significant. So there there are some challenges coming. We know that, and again, that's why we're really keen to try and set a strategy that actually has a fair distribution of funds within the sport amongst participants and. Um, and enables us to grow the sport properly as, as partners, rather than at the moment we don't really have that. Paul, we spoke to Richard about all the groups, you know, this, this sort of utopia where all the groups come together, agree on everything. And, you know, I'm of the opinion that is never going to happen. I don't think that's defeatist. It's, it, that's just reality. Um, so ultimately, we, we have to create a body, don't we, that has, you know, the high percentage chance of deciding things in that we're never going to get 100%, but if it's 70%, then we have to go with that. 
how is that going to happen? Because, and would you agree that while the, the NTF can say the, the race courses are immovable, the race courses might have reasons to say the NTF are, you know, immovable. So you just go round in circles. That's absolutely right, isn't it? The, uh, and everyone is entitled to their view on those things. We, we need a, the BHA to, to lead the sport. That's, that's our position. And I know I've heard race courses say different things about BHA being involved in commercial matters recently. Our view is we need the BHA to be the leaders of sport. They're the ones that, that should put the long-term good at, at, at the, to the forefront, which is, is slightly swimming upstream for some of us, and we're, we're trying to do the right thing. But it, really, I mean, all of us have got quite short-term interests if we're, if we're truthful about it. So you need a, a strong BHA, and you need stakeholders uh, being able to if, if effectively communicate with the BHA, make sure the BHA understand what we're trying to achieve, and that that we're, we're all in the room making the decisions together, which I think is what we're trying to set out to do. Good luck. Uh, we're hearing the right noises from leaders like yourself, Paul. Many thanks for your time. Sorry about the technical issues. Thanks for that. Not at all. Thanks. Bye. Paul Johnson. Everyone's saying the right thing, that's for sure. Well, then, then it comes back to what I said to Rich about this racing group meeting last week, where I'm led to believe exactly the opposite it to what everyone's saying has happened. That... Well, then, everyone talks about needing strong leadership, but you have to cede the power to that leader, don't you? Everyone's going to have to hand over a bit of their Wouldn't power. Wouldn't it be great? Just, obviously, not everyone would want to tune in. But when these groups come together, if we have cameras in stewards' inquiries, wouldn't it well, be great to have a camera? And then we'd actually know who is coming together yes. and who isn't. Yeah, people would be held accountable. That's not going to happen, is it? No, it's not. It's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> not going to happen. So. Televised racing steering group meetings. Someone leaves their phone on recording and hands it over to us. Uh, your reactions uh, on Twitter and so on uh, have been coming through this morning and beyond. Tom McGowan uh, from uh, TMG Thoroughbreds. I wish I could be as optimistic as Richard Wayman. It's imperative all parties agree a solution sooner rather than later. BHA get it sorted. Uh, people have to give them the power, don't they, Tom? As well, Jamie Brownlow was in touch saying, I'd take the powers away from uh, different people, give it back to the BHA. I'd like to see rescheduled the fixtures for 2023. Everyone can see there's too many uh, fixtures. Lots of views on that. Johnny McKeever, Bloodstock agent, on Twitter to you. Um, I hate to say it, but my job's made easier by the paltry prize money. Uh, he's buying horses to go overseas. And we must say, we haven't got time to go through Saratoga last night, but if you haven't seen them, go on the At The Races website. Epicenter, absolutely massive. Um, Gufo, little bit of a surprise winner of the Sword Dancer. Jack Christopher, absolutely epic once again. Jackie's warrior, when it comes to the big races, Sean, seems to blow out. Yeah, it did blow out a little bit, but Epicenter, the real deal. More about that in Race Day Live if you're watching live.